Let's, uh, let's read our verse together today. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We start our new series today on living faith. Living faith. And uh, that's what, at least what I've entitled it. Because I want us to put... Uh, through this series, I want us to think through how can I live my life as a Christian, okay, authentically. In other words, when I when I walk out of here today, how can I actually put what my life into practice as a follower of Jesus? I don't want to just pray a prayer and know that I'm going to heaven one day and do what I want to do until I get there. Okay, I want to I want to be able to give my life and be able to say, Lord, what have you? How have you created me? How have you, God has created you? What is the gifts and talents that God has given to each of us? And then how do we put that actually into practice in our daily lives to edify the body of Christ? There is not a person here who, is, who knows Christ as your Savior that has not been gifted by God to be used to build up the body of Christ. In other words, that's not for professionals. Okay? Because remember, when the... When, the Bible teaches us in regards to authorities, our spiritual authorities. What does he say? That they are responsible to teach the church to actually do the work of the ministry. It's not that we don't do the work of the ministry. In fact, I'm a volunteer, so I'm actually one of those that the pastor is saying, okay, Lou, as a volunteer at Thomas Road, We want you to get involved and use your gifts. And so that's what I'm doing. Okay, each of us do that. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how are we putting our faith into action? How am I living out my faith? Okay, how am I doing this? And it it doesn't end with me teaching up here. This is a 24-7, 365 responsibility. Because what we don't know what a day may bring forth. What are we doing today for the kingdom's sake? James 1.1. 1, 1. Someone read that for me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Okay, this is, this is huge. And as we get into this, I, I think I want you to think through this in your own life. Here is somebody who is writing this book as a servant of of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So I want to ask this question first. What difference does God make? What difference does God make? Here's an example. I've heard many people say today, I don't need God to be good. I don't need God to be good. And that the reality is, what are we, what's the motive behind being good? How many people do something, even, even the generosity of America, giving to things all over the world for a tax write-off. <laughs> I'm doing it because I need a tax write-off. Or I do something because I need to uh, you know, get my way to heaven. I gotta earn my way to heaven. I wanna be liked. I wanna, you know, it's often self-appreciated. Now, we all have, I think, at some point face that. In other words, if we do something and it's, it's never appreciated, do you ever wonder, why am I doing it? Now think through that. 
Do you ever do something and you don't feel appreciated and then you begin to wonder, why am I doing that? But isn't the motive of the follower of Christ unconditional love, which means I'm not going to necessarily get anything in return? We know that. That's a spiritual idea. But putting it into practice is another thing. Okay? Do you remember when you got saved? Anybody remember when you got saved? Okay. Was anybody saved in here after the age of 18? You got saved after 18. Anybody else? Everybody, you were saved after 18, okay? Um, everybody else was saved at some point in our youth, though you could be 21 and still be youth. Youth, okay? Do you remember anything, even if you got saved under 18, what was the difference that God made in your life? Was there anything different? Teresa's shaking her head. Do you mind sharing? It's a peaceful feeling. You felt the peace of God, less worry. You didn't have to think about eternity from those kinds of perspectives. Somebody else? My desires changed. Your, your desires changed. Do you mind me asking what year, or how old were you when you got saved? 20. You were 20. Can you explain in any way that you feel comfortable of the difference God made in your life when you got saved? I wanted to go to church immediately for the first time ever. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I wanted to be with other Christians, and I wanted to learn. Excellent. Anybody else share? What did God do in your life? What changes were made in your life? Yeah. So your motive for doing good things changed. Excellent. Cheryl. Um, I mean, similar to what he said. As a child, when you did something wrong, you know, now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Now you feel like, oh, I probably should have done that. Or that was wrong. Like you're more sensitive when you do wrong or sin. Sure. Because you're the Holy Spirit. So in other words, when you do something wrong, maybe before you're, you're saved, it could be after you're saved too, but we'll give it the benefit of the doubt here. Sometimes you're afraid of doing wrong because you're going to get punished. But when, after you become a follower of Christ, it's more of because you want to be obedient. Not because you're afraid of the consequences, because you want to be obedient. Tish. Yeah. So your purpose changed, it gave you a completely different mindset. And I think that's ultimately what God is trying to do in all of our lives. Do you know anybody who made a major transformation after becoming a follower of Christ? Can anybody share that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Donna. My dad. I was just a little girl, five years old, and I remember um, he had some pretty 
with our whole family. And um, I remember one day, I remember, you know, from the time I can remember praying for my daddy to get saved. Um, and that was just something we prayed every night. And then I just remember one day my brother and I peeking into the bedroom door. We weren't supposed to do that. And they were kneeling together, my mom and dad, and he prayed to accept Christ. And our whole entire family just was transformed. Amazing. And Wow. Man, that gives me chills. It does. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a, a little different perspective. I remember when my, when my father got saved, he made this dramatic change in his life. He was happy. He was joyous. He was reading the Bible. He was going to church. And then seeing later on in his life, he just lost all his steam and uh, had some substance abuse problems and I don't know what happened. Right. I have an uncle, same thing. And I don't know how that happens or why it happens, or but they just, you know, their lives ended up being very, very mediocre. It looked great at first, but I don't know if it's the theology or what happened. Yeah, and that does happen. That's what Paul even had to address issues in the church, that sometimes when they became followers of Christ, they started looking more like the world than they did the church. And sometimes we can make those choices and we can make those destructive patterns in our life. God ultimately, in other words, that's why faith in Christ is a living, uh, uh, an existence of which is day by day alive. It's an intimate relationship. It's not just a theology. It's not just religion. It's not just a prayer. It's an ongoing relationship. And so what's our relationship? What's my relationship with the Lord like? How am I living that out? And Because we can, we still, after we become followers of Christ, can make unique choices for good or for bad. And those choices can take us down paths that we don't necessarily want to go. And we can regret if we're not careful. That's why I asked the question, why do some people leave the faith? Because if we're going to be honest to this, yes, God can make a transformational uh, experience for somebody. They can go from uh, the, uh, a, being a, a person who's doing everything for themselves and everything that's wicked and evil and be transformed overnight. Amazing that God can change them like that and they just get on fire for God and they can live that, that way the rest of their life. But then I think a couple of things happen. There is the person who becomes a follower of Christ, prays a prayer, knows they're going to heaven, but they really don't want to be sold out completely to the Lord. So they just kind of live a, you may say, mediocre or average life. They just kind of doing their thing. They're grateful for eternity in heaven, but how they live their life really isn't impacted by Jesus, his word, etc. Or you can, do the, you can have a life experience. You can come along and, and accept Jesus as your Savior, and then all of a sudden, something happens. And it takes you down a path that you didn't expect, and even though you know you're saved and you know it's wrong, it's just going a place that you never were intended to go. And it can, it can literally go through the entire life. Yeah, bomb. Sometimes not just leaving it, it's, 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 you just sort of fade away 
Yeah. And I think that's why when we talk about discipleship, Jesus called us to go and make disciples. And discipleship isn't just seeing a person come to Christ. It's being connected with brothers and sisters in Christ to actually grow in your faith. Now, sometimes I I think that we have to take ownership of that because sometimes we want somebody else to be involved in, in, in bringing us along. But I think it's a, it's a mutual responsibility with the body that the church is there to build each other up, to encourage one another, that we really seek that out, that we strive for it. Because here's the thing, uh, and I'm not directing this negatively towards you, Bob. I want to make sure that's clear to everybody in here. But sometimes we think it's the job of the church to come into my life and help me be successful as a Christian. Jesus actually communicated, you don't need anybody to teach you. Now, he's given us pastors and teachers. You know, he's given us for the edifying of the body. He's given us all that. But he's also equipped you as a follower of Jesus to take ownership of that. Because remember, from uh, Romans 14, he said, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And we will be held accountable for our choices. And we're not on, on Judgment Day going to go, Hey, Lord, um, Lou just wasn't that good. If Lou was better, I would have been a better Christian. If he was more, if if he taught me the scriptures more from a expositional position, which I'm going to be doing through the book of James, instead of as a topical approach, I typically, I would have gotten a whole lot more out of church. So really, it's like going back to the garden. it's, it's, It's the woman you gave me. It's the serpent. It's your fault, God. We wouldn't be in this position if the serpent wasn't here. Hello, this is not my problem, it's yours. (laughs) Right? And yet at the same time, that's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Often in my prayers in the morning, I did this morning, but I often say thank you, Lord, for everyone who's taken time out of their busy lives to come here today. Because that's what you're doing. You're taking ownership of your own discipleship. You're taking ownership of what you're doing. Now, some of you may be here because your parents make you come. I get that. But at the same time, the bottom line is, is that you, if you, you're here, I hope that you're engaged mentally and, and thinking through these lessons so that you take ownership for yourself. That you go, okay, I want to learn something that I can apply to my life. And this is what we do. But we need each other. 
Bob needed a congregation of believers who would be on fire to encourage him, as we all do. And when we don't have that, the natural tendency is to walk away, is to get complacent. Tish. And again, that's why isolation is so dangerous. Even when you don't feel like coming, let me encourage you to come. Because there's going to be, there's days I don't feel like coming. And I'm the one teaching. I don't want to hear me. I get that. But think about it. It's like, but it's like exercising. How many, you know, there's some people who just love to go exercise. I love working out. I love getting, you know, it's like, that's great. Maybe because and then they, medical science will get well, the endorphins are kicking in and you're feeling this natural high that comes from the, okay, that's great. But how many of you go, I don't want to do it. But after you do it, you, you, you feel better or at least you, maybe you're sore, but you're feeling better. You know, do you ever have that experience or most of the time you're like, no, I just hated it. <laughs> okay, most of you hated it. <laughs> Who was the author of James? James, good. There's only two prominent James mentioned in the New Testament. Okay? One that Pastor Jonathan was talking about today. James, the son of Zebedee, whose brother was John. Okay? Remember, remember them from this morning's sermon? And Mama? Hey, uh, can, when you get into the kingdom, can you let my two boys be on either side of you? This is the one James. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. Okay? Remember what Jesus... I, I, I love it when our sermons and our, t- our teachings go hand in hand. He says, can you drink this cup? Jesus, when it, it, his mother asked him that question, and the boys go, we can, we can do it. Yeah, you will. Because if we look at James, uh, like uh, the son of Zebedee, Acts 12, 12, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So by Acts chapter 12, this James was dead. He was martyred for his faith. And Jesus knew, are you ready to to suffer? Yep. Imagine being killed by the sword. Man. That drama leading up to this. I can imagine what James was going through at this point when he asked that question with his mama and wondering, it's happening. My life is over. So this James was martyred, so he could not have been the author. It had to be James, the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? And so there are other Jameses mentioned, but they're, they're not significant and ultimately not significant in the sense of their position to be accepted as a writer of scripture, okay? 
Even Paul addresses James as an apostle and the brother of Jesus. James wrote it sometime between A.D. 44 and 49. Now, why do we know that he wrote it sometime then? Okay, because there's no mention of the Jerusalem Council that took place in A.D. 49. Now, why is that significant? That was huge. Okay, in other words, this was the first church council to take place. And they were talking about the Gentiles. Because remember, Paul and Peter had a disagreement. Paul, he was trying to reach who? The Jews or the Gentiles? The Gentiles. Who was Peter trying to reach? The Jews. And so was James. And so now Paul is reaching out and, the, and Jane, or Peter and the church at Jerusalem was actually going through this process, making Gentiles, Gentile men, get circumcised. Because you gotta go back to the law. It was a requirement of the law. If you're gonna be in our group, you've gotta be circumcised. It sounds like the 50s and 60s and 70s in the US. If you're gonna be in our church, guys, you gotta cut your hair. You can't have a beard and those kinds of things. Oh, that, that's just wrong. You know, that's culturally inappropriate. It was this legalism that they had started to establish. And so literally they had to come to Jerusalem. They chose to come to Jerusalem to have a church meeting about what are they going to do with these Gentiles? What's appropriate? Okay. And we'll get into that. James was not a believer before the resurrection. That's why my title for today's message is a transformational life. It's a transformed life. His family, his associates, the people that were around him, thought Jesus was crazy. Okay? Someone read for me Mark 3, 20 and 21, and 31 to 35. Yep, right there. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, we've got a new family here. Who are, are really my family? Now think about this. The reason I put, I put associates is because early in the verse, if you notice, it says, when his family heard about this. That's a translation. That can be a translation of the word. However, then it says down below, then Jesus' mother and brothers came. So what family are they talking about? More than likely, these were some of the other associates, disciples, that were close to Jesus had arrived because literally they thought he was crazy. Now, he, he said a lot of things that made people upset. He especially made them ticked off when he said, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. At that point, many of his disciples walked away. He's nuts. They didn't understand what he meant, though. 
Obviously, he wasn't talking about physically eating and drinking his blood and eating his flesh. But the, the Roman Catholic Church today teaches this principle because they believe it's literal. So when they have communion, if you were to ask a person, not every Catholic believes the same things, but in their Catholic teaching, they believe in what's called transubstantiation. We call it communion. Okay? In the Lutheran tradition, they call it consubstantiation. We use it as a memorial. Remember, when you do this, remember these things. In the Catholic tradition, they believe in transubstantiation. And literally what they mean is this. That you have to receive communion in the Catholic Church by a priest in order to be saved. Because when the priest lifts the host, the wafer, he's praying to God so that when you consume it and you swallow it, you swallow the elements of that wafer, but it transforms spiritually into the literal body of Jesus. When you drink the cup, the wine, the grape juice, and drink it, when you swallow it, it literally transforms into the blood of Jesus. So if you were to ask a Roman Catholic, typically, okay, not everyone, but many of them, most of them, they, they receive you, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? They do every Sunday. Because they do that when they take communion. They're receiving Jesus. That's why... If you don't take communion, if you're excommunicated from the church, you can't be saved because you no longer are receiving Jesus as your Savior. You're not receiving the elements. Tish? Um, well, I was reading in my devotionals, and it sort of goes along with this, but what, so he said his family, they were his family, and they were brothers who are believers until after the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they, they literally were outside. And so somebody at least, then his mom and his brothers arrived. He had four brothers, okay? And, or three brothers, excuse me. And so they all arrive. And ultimately then, okay, they're looking at him to take him away. Okay? But he looks at them and goes, hey, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? The ultimate answer is whoever does God's will. His brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, yeah, I'm sorry, four, four brothers, did not believe in him as the Messiah, okay? Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. So here we have James and his three brothers ultimately looking at them saying, you know what? I don't have honor even in my own family. My own family don't even believe in me. Okay. John 7, 1 to 5. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Okay. This is what Tish was just talking about. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, 
Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Okay? See, basically, what are they doing here? Can someone give me an example? What do you think is going on here? Why are they talking to Jesus in this way? Sarcasm. Sarcasm. They're making fun of him. Hey, if you're really the big dude, you don't just keep it in silent, dude. You got to get out there in the marketplace. Let everybody see your actions, what's going on. They're making fun of him. Okay? Show yourself to the world. Be the big man. You know, they're mocking him. Imagine this. See what I'm talking about? A transformed life. So that they can see the works that you do. Okay? See, the issue is, now we could look at that first and go, well, is it, are they really mocking him? But when you add the phrase, for even his own brothers did not believe in him, then what's their motive? That's the issue. See, that's where it, why it becomes mocking. He was also a typical Jewish believer. If you look at history, James grew up in a Jewish family. So what does that mean? What does it mean to grow up as a Jewish boy? Yeah. Probably heard about the law all the time. Yeah. He was discussing the law. He would have went through the bar mitzvah. He understood basically the responsibility of, of works, the working of the law to become righteous, that ultimately the Messiah is going to come. But did they believe that Jesus' style of being the Messiah was the right one? No, absolutely not. They're looking for someone who's going to be a conqueror, someone who's going to take him into battle. Imagine, okay, if you're a Jewish believer, thinking about the Jewish history of wars. Thinking about the fact that they went to, they were exiled in Babylon as an example. They were slaves in Egypt. Babylon, okay? They, they went through these experiences. Now, when the Messiah comes, and this guy raises people from the dead, imagine that on the battlefield. How discouraging would that be? You go into battle, and the enemy starts attacking, and you start, and, and 20% of your, your, your people get killed. And Jesus goes, rise up. And they come back to life. Imagine being the enemy at that point. What are you going to do? Run. <coughs> yeah. Um, during World War II, a lot of Jews, if you ask Jews about Jesus and about God, they will say, where was Jesus? That is the question that everybody asks, not just for their, that's their context. People ask the same question today regarding the issue of where is Jesus, where is God in any tragic situation? Genocide, democide. Look at the tragedies that have happened historically over the world. Whether you're talking about Mao Zedong, okay, whether you're talking about Hitler, whether you're talking about Mussolini, whether you're talking Osama bin Laden, when we look at Africa, the amount of the Tutus, 
I mean, the things that have happened all over this world, the tragedies occur. And the reason why they ask that question is not because I think that they want to believe, but because they want to disbelieve. The reason they're asking the question is because they don't want the Jesus who came. They don't want the God who exists. In other words, even though they don't want to be a slave, think about this. Even though they don't want to be a slave, they would, be, they would prefer being a slave than be responsible. Think about that. Look at our country even today. How many of us, not us, in our country would rather be a slave to the government than to be responsible? How many of us would rather just, God, you fix it all, make me good? I've got this addiction, I've got this problem, God, make me good. It's your responsibility. And God says, Mm-mm. it's yours. You want, to, you want to be holy? Be holy. You want to be good? Be good. We don't want that, God. We just want you to, we want the little blue pill. No, 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 no. There's no quick fix to this. It's a choice. And we don't often like that idea. Someone, I, I'm recording this for Mark. So I, don't, I can't tap my phone and get the time. So I don't want to take us over, but I'm going to finish this lesson regardless. So if you all leave, that's fine. It's three minutes to noon. We're not even praying about this. <laughs> Should never have asked. As the ascent, after the ascension, James joins the apostles in the upper room to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. <laughs> Isn't that a nice ritual? When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they, were, where they were staying. See, this is the transformation that occurred after the resurrection in James. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together in constantly prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Interesting. So now, people gather to pray after Jesus is crucified, buried, and now resurrected because this occurs right after the ascension. Jesus ascended into heaven, and now they've gathered together. And Mary and his brothers show up to pray. Why? Because a transformation has occurred in their life. What caused James and his brother uh, to believe in Jesus? It was the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For what I received, Paul's talking here, I passed on to you as the first importance. This is the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, important statement, most of whom are still living today, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, 
And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He goes to, he goes to his brother James and says, it's me. I'm your brother. I'm your God. Now think about it. James is living his own life. He thinks his brother's crazy. He goes and he prays with everybody else. And in Acts 15, James becomes the pastor, the elder of the church in Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? Here's a non-believer who instantly, because he already knew the Old Testament scriptures, he was aware of them. He knew what was going on. He heard Jesus for years. And now, as a believer, he's transformed, and he literally presided over the Jerusalem council that dealt with the whole issue of the Gentiles and the Jews. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Are you kidding me? This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Because that's not what he was telling the, the Gentiles. They received the Holy Spirit without getting circumcised. So how does that happen? How do you get the Holy Spirit if you've not been circumcised? There's a problem here. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. James was the elder. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So in other words, it's not by works, it's by grace. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So they're, they're performing, the Gentiles clearly are showing evidence of their salvation. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to chose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Think about that. Yeah, Tish. Absolutely, because this has been going on for <coughs> millennia. Okay? Over a thousand years, they had been following the teachings of Moses. And that was important to follow the teachings of Moses. Now something radical has happened. God's doing a new thing. <laughs> and that new thing is he's allowed the Gentiles in. 
It is my judgment, therefore. See, James is speaking. It's my judgment, therefore. He's the key elder of the church of Jerusalem that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, interestingly enough, Paul, even though he disagreed with them on this part, because we remember Romans 14, when he wrote to the Roman church, he said, I am fully convinced there's nothing unclean in of itself. That's a secondary issue to salvation, though. See, when they were saying, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. Now, now we're talking about a key issue here, about salvation. Eat, meat, meat, eating meat offered to idols, that's a secondary issue. So Paul, he doesn't even get ticked off about that. He doesn't even address it. That's not the main issue right now. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that one. Let's deal with the main issue, the big issue, and that's the issue of salvation. So James calls himself the servant of God in Jesus Christ. And I'll close here quickly. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. He doesn't describe himself as the son of Mary or the brother of Jesus. I put there, why is that significant? Because it wasn't about pride. He's, again, looking at today's sermon from Pastor Jonathan. It's not about pride. It's not about arrogance. It's not about your pedigree. I'm Mary's son. I'm the brother of Jesus. Oh, he's God, by the way. No. <laughs> and I'm a bondservant. Literally, the word is a bondservant. Okay? He calls himself a bondservant. It's, a word, it's the word doulos, which can literally be translated slave. He wasn't ashamed of that phrase. It literally, it was one who was totally under control of his master. Now, the question I have to ask myself is, would I consider myself to be a slave of the Lord? Am I a doulos? It was a term used by many followers of God. It was talked about Abraham. Genesis 26, 24. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, it's the same word that meant doulos in the Greek, translated Greek, servant, slave, Abraham. Moses, Exodus 14, 31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his doulos, his servant. Paul, Romans 1, 1. Paul, a bondservant, a slave of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And finally, Jesus himself. Acts 3.13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his doulos servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Jesus became obedient, even to the point of death. Yeah. Shalom. I just wanted to mention I have a friend who is an Islam extremist, or he was, and saw someone speaking of God on the street corner and was so angry, was headed there to kill him, and stopped and listened and got saved. And his testimony is 
crazy. I mean, it just gives you chills to listen to what he was and what he is now. Amen. God can transform any life if they willingly submit to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for James. But thank you for Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection that transforms our lives. Lord, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm so grateful I'm not what I could be. I pray your blessing upon each person here. May you transform our lives day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Have a great week.